I'm not going to assume that all of you know who Adnarm Judson was, her husband, so I'm going to spend just a few moments uh, reminding you, for those of you who do know, and uh, informing you of those of you who don't know who Adnarm was. Adnarm Judson was the, uh, not the first, but among the first missionaries to be sent from the shores of the United States of America to do missionary work. He went uh, in 1812 with his wife Anne over to eventually to Burma. We'll talk more about that as we get in here. And he really opened up the gospel to Burma. The first convert did not come until 1819 after he'd been there some seven years. Uh, through much suffering, difficulty, and toil. Adoniram was a, um, was, was a man with a, with a very unusually gifted mind. Um, he loved to preach, but he understood that he had to make a priority of putting the scriptures into the Burmese language, which he labored at doing for many, many years. Uh, he was very successful. The Burmese language is an extremely difficult language. He mastered it. He mastered it so well and translated the entire Bible into Burmese. It is such a fine translation that to this day, 2018, the translation of Adnaram Judson is what is used in Burma. Um, <clears throat> a number of years ago, uh, some language experts, Burmese language experts, looked at the Bible. They said there's no reason to update it. There's no reason to change it. Uh, Adoniram understood the language. He preached. <clears throat> a first convert, and then a year or so later, there were 22 converts, and then many, many churches were started. He also <clears throat> ministered in other uh, countries that were adjacent to Burma. Uh, he labored there for some 40 years, died uh, while he was in Burma. Um, well, actually, he got very, very sick, and uh, they, he went on a sea voyage, and then he died on the sea voyage, and he was buried at sea. So that's just a little snapshot of who Adnarm Judson was. Adnarm had, <clears throat> uh, was married to Anne, as we'll talk about here in a moment. After Anne died, he married Sarah Boardman, whose husband had gone to Burma to be a missionary, her husband died. Uh, Sarah died, and then he came back to the States, and he married a woman by the name of Emily Chubbuck, who was also known as Fanny Forrester. Uh, that was her pen name. And she survived him. After he died, she came back to the States, but the harsh climate over there shortened her life as well. So a great servant of the Lord, uh, sent from the United States over to Burma, eventually. Now, I'm going to be concentrating on Anne. I became interested in Anne as I was doing a biographical sketch and doing research on Adoniram. Uh, one cannot help but become interested in Anne if you read about Adoniram's life. And so I determined that, uh, <clears throat> and I was asked actually uh, for a family conference to, to do a, a biographical sketch on Anne Hazeltine which I gladly did. So with that background, I launch into the um, biographical sketch that I've written on Anne Hazeltine Judson. 
It was the summer of 1810, and Anne Hazeltine, along with her mother, was serving a dinner to some pastors and young men who had become well-known to be for their desire to be missionaries in the Far East. However, Anne, after being introduced to Adoniram Judson, was quite disappointed. He was known for his oratorical skills, but he hardly said a word when he was introduced and sitting at their table, and when he did speak, it was unintelligible. He seemed to lack wit and liveliness, and he stared at his plate the whole meal. She wondered how such a young man could be thought to be the one who had stirred hundreds of people to be involved in the cause of foreign missions. And besides, she thought he's too short, too slight, his nose far too prominent. <clears throat> what Anne did not know that day was that Adoniram was awestruck with her beauty. Dancing eyes, jet black curls, and her irrepressible smile. Although he kept his eyes on the plate, he was, out, he was totally aware of every move she made in the room. He determined from that, moment, from that moment, this is the girl I'm going to marry. Who is Anne Hazeltine? Yes, she was vivacious, pretty, witty, but she was much more than that. As I take you through her life, <clears throat> I think you will see that her inward beauty far outstripped her outward beauty. Of course, Anne was not always a Christian. In fact, she was a carefree girl who was the life of the party. She loved dancing at the dance halls and decided that by the age of 14, she no longer needed to say her prayers. Uh, she was very much religious, as was her family. They went to church regularly, but it was a formal type of religion. She was tired of getting home, so after getting home so late from the dance hall and needed to get some sleep. Anne's father had no time for what he called experimental piety. He was satisfied with going to church and formal religion, as was Anne. Well, at 15, a new schoolmaster came to town. Mr. Burnham wanted to train for the gospel ministry but needed money, so he took the job of teaching school at Bradford, Massachusetts. This schoolmaster wanted to point his students to true religion. After, he, after his arrival, one particular Sunday morning, Anne, after she had dressed for church, saw the book, Strictures on Moral Modern uh, System Female Education by Hannah Moore on the table, written in 1800. And before church, she decided to take it up and read. She found this startling sentence. She that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. She quickly put the book down, but she could not get that phrase out of her mind. It convicted her. A few months later, for a Sabbath book, she began to read Pilgrim's Progress. She noted that Christian was saved as he adhered to the narrow path, so she thought the best way to be saved was to be reserved and serious in the presence of other scholars. Ah, but this was impossible for Anne, whose second nature was to be carefree. She did refuse one party, but soon accepted an invitation to another and was again the life of the party. But she was conscience-struck. Mr. Burnham often visited the Hazeltine home because there were several sisters of Anne who were of a marriageable age, 
and uh, he was already 30. One evening, <clears throat> Mr. Burnham told the family that the devil tempted people to conceal their true feelings from others lest their religious convictions should increase. This remark struck Anne, and after visiting an aunt, began to spend much time in prayer in a room. It was during this time that evidently the Lord opened her heart and she came to Christ. One night, her gentle, good-natured father saw Anne on her knees, and he was so convicted that he went to his favorite oak tree, and there with sobs, poured his heart out to our God. So what Adoniram saw that day was not only a beautiful, vivacious, dark-haired girl, but a girl who was a Christian and had already been influential in pointing her own father to Christ. <clears throat> Anne's entire life exemplified Christ, as we shall see. This is a vivid illustration of the fact that true beauty begins with Christ. Young ladies, and I think there are a number here that I saw, your outward beauty is wonderful, but there's an inward beauty that is far more important. Well, let's talk about Anne's courtship and marriage to Adoniram. Anne's prudence, that is, thoughtful consideration concerning life, is illustrated in the courtship and marriage to Adoniram. Although her first impression was negative, she soon heard from her father about Adoniram's stirring speech at the meeting of the Congregational Churches that same afternoon. And by the way, Adoniram only spoke three minutes. But in those three minutes, he so stirred the Congregational Churches that had assembled that there was a unanimous consent that they needed to send young men to the Far East for missions. The church was packed with people, and Adoniram had made a lasting impact on the gathered assembly. Anne could not get Adoniram out of her mind. One day she received a letter from Adoniram. She broke the seal and read a few lines and then exclaimed, Of all the arrogant the letter expressed Adoniram's desire to pursue a relationship with Anne with a view to marriage. She got no further because her mother came into the room and Anne marched out. She threw the letter on the table where the whole family could read it. Anne did not answer for one month, even though her family questioned her often about it. Finally, one of her sisters threatened to answer the letter for her if she did not. <laughs> Anne did, however... Uh, but she did not say yes or no. She told Adoniram that he must ask her father. He did write back one of the most famous letters in missionary history. And this is a paragraph from Adoniram's letter to her father. <clears throat> I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter next spring, to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, to insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Anne's father gave her the letter and left the decision up to her. It was a hard struggle for Anne. She speaks of this struggle in her diary. Many in the community opposed her, 
Uh, she was the pet of the family, Reed spoiled by her doting father. But she prayed, thought, and wrote. Here are a couple of her diary entries. For several weeks past, my mind has been greatly agitated. An opportunity has been presented to me of spending my days among the heathen in attempting to persuade them to receive the gospel. Were I convinced of it being a call from God and that it would be more pleasing to him for me to spend my life in this way than in any other, I think I should be willing to relinquish every earthly object and in full view of dangers and hardships, give myself up to the great work. Another similar entry. A consideration of this subject has occasioned much self-examination to know on what my hopes were founded and whether my love to Jesus was sufficiently strong to endure to forsake all for his cause. Well, during this time, Adoniram was seeing Anne regularly. He not only expressed his deep love for her, but also spoke of the challenge of the missionary calling. They loved to ride horses together, and Anne's mother would watch as they came back to the house with their faces flushed with excitement. Soon, Adoniram knew that Anne loved him. He knew he needed just such a wife as Anne would be. Anne, out of, life for, out of love for Jesus and for Don, the pet name that she came to use for him, consented to marriage. This shows what a prudent woman she was. Yes, she was in love, but she was also very wise in thinking about the implications of what it meant to marry Adoniram. Well, I move on now to the marriage and their arrival at Calcutta and Serampur, the home base of William Carey. <clears throat> on February 5, 1812, Adoniram and Anne Hazeltine were married then attended a large church gathering to wish them farewell, and on February 6, some 2,500 people gathered for the formal ordination of Judson, Samuel Newell, Samuel Knott, and Gordon Hall for missionary service. More and more money came in to support the cause. Then on February 19, the ship set sail for India with Adoniram and Ed Judson, Samuel and Harriet Newell, and Luther Rice. Uh, just one brief note, Harriet, who is the wife of Samuel Newell, was Anne's very best friend during all their teenage years, and they were very, very close. Harriet also struggled with whether or not to accept a proposal of marriage and go endure this kind of life. Harriet, however, was not like Anne in physically. She was really quite a weak person and didn't have near the physical stamina and strength that Anne had. While traveling to India, the young couples realized they needed exercise. Can you guess how they exercised? You got it. Dancing. <laughs> I suspect that Anne was the one who suggested this physical program of, of exercise. <clears throat> During the trip, Adoniram was studying the matter of baptism. His study began as he continued to translate the Greek New Testament into English. He noted the meaning of the word baptism and that no one in the New Testament had ever been baptized by sprinkling. 
He was worried by this, and so was Anne. Anne listened carefully to the arguments, and she too became convinced. After they arrived in India, they were baptized by Ward, who was the co-worker of William Carey, of the Serampore Mission on September 6, 1812. This change of belief to be a Baptist was a heavy trial for Anne. She wrote, It is extremely trying to reflect on the consequences of our becoming Baptists. We must be separated from our dear missionary associates and labor alone in some isolated spot. We must expect to be treated with contempt and to be cast off by many of our American friends, forfeit the character we have in our native land, and presently things are very trying to us and cause our hearts to bleed for anguish. We feel that we have no home in this world and no friends but each other. A renunciation of our former sentiments has caused us more pain than anything which ever happened to us through our lives. Well, while in Serampore, William Carey and all the rest of the missionaries with him advised the Judsons not to go to Burma. Uh, by, be, before they left, Adoniram's desire was to go to Burma. He wanted to open up Burma. No one had been to Burma. The gospel wasn't being preached in Burma. And that was his dream. That was his goal. But now when they got there, they said, no, it's a very dangerous place and you must not to go. Uh, Carrie's son was there, Felix, and uh, he was involved really in government activity, uh, and he was only welcome because he actually married a Burmese woman. Well, after spending but a short time with William Carey at Serampore, orders came from the East India Company for all the American missionaries to leave. You see, England basically had the control and rule in India. And if you were going to remain in India or in those places, you had to have the blessing of the East India Company, which was the company that determined who could and who could not operate in British-controlled territory. Some of the missionary couples were separated. Eventually, they planned to be reunited on the Isle of France. Once Adnarm and Ad arrived, they learned, however, that Harriet Newell and her newborn baby had died of exposure during a storm at sea. They were stunned and now began to realize some of the cost of taking the gospel uh, to the nations. Anne wrote in a letter home, Have at last arrived in port, but oh, what news, what distressing news. Harriet is dead. Harriet, my dear friend, my earliest associate in the mission, is no more. After a short time, Samuel Newell decided to join his fellow Congregationalists and so took a ship to Ceylon. Luther Rice developed physical problems that took him back to the United States. In June of 1812, the Judsons decided to go to Madras. However, when they arrived, they found the attitude of the East India Company had hardened toward Americans, and so they were prevented from staying there. They were immediately reported to the police. They had to leave. The only ship available was going to Ragoon, that is Ragoon in Burma. Adnarman Ann had come to think of Burma with horror. 
All advice was against going to Burma. Anne was now pregnant, and so this was a further reason not to go to Burma. But both Anne and Adoniram committed themselves to God, and so decided to go to Burma. They knew that Felix Carey was in Rangoon, Rangoon, I should say, so they would have a place to stay. The baby would be born at sea, so they hired a strong European woman to prepare their room on the ship and to accompany them. However, when they boarded the ship, the woman suddenly died, and they had no time to hire another helper. A few days out to sea, Nancy had a miscarriage, and she herself became very, very weak. And once the ship came into calm water, thankfully, she was able to recover some of her health. Well, they arrived in Rangoon, and when the ship got there, Adoniram often seen pictures and often imagined the beauty of the Shwa Dagan Pagoda. Perhaps you've seen pictures of that. It's the, the, it's the golden feet of, of Burma, and it is a magnificent structure. But he was so disappointed because what he saw was that, but then all around it just a bunch of huts where people lived in abject poverty. Um, <clears throat> but the uh, pagoda had, the relic, had relics in it and supposedly had eight hairs from the head of Buddha himself. No wonder it was venerated and so important. This was the Burma that needed the gospel. Well, once they arrived in Rangoon, they stayed with Felix Carey, the son of William. They studied the language, and both Adoniram and Anne became, became proficient in the language. The Burmese language, as I mentioned earlier, is very difficult to learn. There was no punctuation, and it seemed to have no grammatical structure. But in just six months, Adoniram was proficient enough in the language to approach the viceroy for permission to live in Rangoon. During this time, Anne had also been studying the language and was more proficient than Adoniram in actual day-to-day -day communication. Uh, she did not, however, have the hindrance of figuring out all the grammatical structure that he, that he had. When Adoniram approached the viceroy, he took Anne with him. The ladies of the court were quite taken with Anne because they had never seen a white woman before. The viceroy, uh, who Anne described as the most dreadful-looking human being that she had ever seen, was also curious about Anne. Uh, she took the opportunity boldly to ask if, he would not, if she could not be introduced to his wife. It was granted. And this was, important, this was a very important friendship that uh, resulted in much kindness from both the viceroy, both in Rangoon and later in Ava. It was Anne's diligence and aptness to learn the language that really created this friendship. While in Rangoon, Anne gave birth to Roger Williams Judson on September 11, 1815. But the little one died on May 4, 1816. Both parents were heartbroken, but they were comforted by the viceroy's wife. Once she found out that the little one had died, she really sort of upbraided Anne and said, why didn't you let me know that this little one had died? So to comfort them, she brought elephants and took the Judsons on a four-mile ramble through the jungle with the purpose of giving them some joy and comfort. 
Well, help arrived in 1816. There was a printing press that came, but it wasn't until, as I said earlier, 1819, that the first convert actually uh, occurred. During this time also, Anne's health began to decline. Uh, she had to go back to Calcutta for recovery. Uh, she did recover and then came back to Rangoon. Uh, soon after that, Anne's health failed once again, and she returned to, to America in 1821, uh, but again recovered, was back in Burma in December of 1823. <clears throat> when Anne arrived, returned, I should say, uh, to Burma, Rangoon, Adoniram told her of an open door in Ava. On Judson's visit, he had been allowed to preach to the emperor, so they packed all that they had and they moved to Ava. Adoniram had hoped uh, for some time to be able to get permission to preach the gospel in the capital, and now the king seemed favorable, because he knew if he could get that permission, it meant the whole country was open for the gospel. And so he longed time and time again to, to find that open door in, in, um, in, in, with the emperor. One of the reasons for the favor in Ava was that a doctor by the name of Jonathan Price, missionary doctor, had done successful cataract surgeries which pleased the king. So immediately they moved. Once they arrived, however, they, they, they soon uh, well, once they arrived, they soon befriended a wealthy gentleman, Henry Gauger, who acted as their banker. They also knew another British man in Ava by the name of Rogers. However, when they reached Ava, they found out that Price had fallen out of favor with the emperor. In addition to that, war was now looming on the horizon with England. All the British men were under suspicion, and Adoniram was linked with them. All the men were considered spies. Soon all four of the men were arrested. Anne was put under house arrest and threatened by the authorities. They just ransacked their house and destroyed everything in the house. She was able to uh, resist their threats and was able to hide the translation work of Adoniram in the backyard and then watched as almost all her furniture and possessions were removed from the home. The men were put in a prison, and there was a filthy place. They were hung in midair from their feet, and only their shoulders and head allowed to touch the filthy dungeon floor. Anne used every means at her disposal to have the men released. She was able to persuade the guards with bribes to release the men from the filthy conditions so that they could live in little huts in the prison yard. And she was able, even able to stay with Adoniram in one of those huts for a short period of time. It was during this 21-month period that the remarkable character of Anne was manifested. She found food wherever she could so that all of these men, not just Adoniram but his friends as well, could be fed. She visited the governor's house every other day and pleaded with his wife to intervene for Adoniram and these men. And she did this while she was pregnant. And not only that, she delivered the baby during this time and only missed 20 days of caring for the men. As the war between England and Burma came closer to an end, the men were abruptly moved to another location in which, they, which could only be described as a near-death march. They were forced to walk on the hot sand without shoes and then reached a remote compound where a lion was 
caged. And Ad and I just figured they're going to release the lion and have him eat them all. But they never took the lion out of the cage, never fed the lion, and the lion died. <clears throat> Anne found out from the governor where the men were, and that was not an easy task in and of itself, and she obtained a wagon and took what food she could find and went to this new location. She approached a harsh, unfeeling guard to get access to the men and give them food. He snatched her umbrella from her, telling her that such a skinny person as she was didn't need it because the sun couldn't find her. She stood for an hour in the hot sun waiting to get into the compound. Anne had to make the trip back to Ava to find food. One time she had to beg for milk for her baby Maria while she herself was sick and weak. The British did win the war. Adniram and his friends were released. Adniram was asked by the British to be a translator for the peace negotiations. Word, <clears throat> word of Anne's heroic efforts reached the British military, and when the peace negotiations were finalized, the British had the Burmese officials to a state dinner, and Anne uh, was given um, Anne was given the place of the highest honor. Some of the cruel Burmese cringed as they knew that one bad word from her would mean a death sentence. One man in particular, who had put five shackles on Adoniram, had made her stand for hours in the hot sun and then snatched her umbrella away with the cruel remark that fat people, only fat people needed to be protected from the sun and she was too skinny to have the sun hurt her, was trembling with fear. The British general asked Anne what might be the matter with this man. So she told the general the whole story. The man knew that they were talking about him, but Anne leaned over to the man and said in Burmese, you have nothing to fear. Uh, she conducted herself with the greatest poise and kindness. The men's survival of this 21 months of prison is directly attributable to the dedication and hard work of Anne. She attributed all to the grace of God and the strength that the Lord gave her. The British asked Adoniram to remain in Ava as their translator, <clears throat> um, and Anne, uh, actually they went to Amherst together and then Adoniram was called back to Ava. Anne departed with her little Maria, or she, Anne stayed in Amherst with little Maria. Uh, when uh, she was, when, when she left for Amherst, she was in good health, with the prospect of being reunited with Adoniram once uh, the work was done. Anne wrote letters to Adoniram. On September 14th, she spoke of the new house and how pleasant it was to be situated in a new home. She spoke how feeble Maria was. Uh, one other thing, in one of the letters, Anne also urged Adoniram not to be brought in by the British and to, and, and to acquiesce to governmental service. It says, remember, we're here to preach the gospel, not to just have a nice life in this country. <clears throat> well, the next letter that Adoniram received had a black seal. It gave the grievous news of Anne's death. She had contracted a fever that baffled all the physicians and after 18 days died. Adoniram was grief-stricken. 
Anne was with her Savior and Lord at 37 years of age. Adoniram did return to Amherst uh, to his sweet Maria. However, she was so weakened that she died on April 24th of the following year at the age of two years and three months. She was buried next to her mother under what, his, what was called the Hope Tree. I want to I conclude by drawing some lessons from Anne's life. First, Anne is exe- was exemplary in her wisdom and prudence. Think again of the courtship and her careful thought about what it meant to marry Adoniram. Two, Anne was a hardworking, industrious woman. This was especially evidenced in the way that she served Adoniram and the other two men during the imprisonment. And the rest of her life exemplified that as well. Three, Adoniram, or Anne was an intelligent woman. Her ability with the language is quite amazing. It created the friendship with the Viceroy and Rangoon. Eventually, Anne learned the language well enough to translate the book of Jonah into Burmese, and she also wrote a simple catechism in Burmese for a small school of girls that she taught. The school had 30 pupils, and the mothers often sat in to hear the lessons as Anne taught them. Later, Anne learned Siamese and became proficient enough to translate her own catechism into the language along with Adoniram's track in Matthew's Gospel. Then for her own amusement, she put a Siamese book into English. Its theme was a story of one of the deities of Siam who incarnated into an elephant. It seems a little surprising choice, and I've mused on that, and I suspect that she used it as a teaching tool with the girls to show that the true meaning of the incarnation, what the true meaning of the incarnation of Christ was. Anne used her keen mind for the glory of Christ and did this even in the midst of sickness and persecution. In this area, she's a worthy example to follow. For she was a joyous woman. It's true from her youth uh, to her marriage, to the life in Burma, in spite of the many trials, she loved life, she loved the Lord, and she had the joy of the Lord. This joyous woman maintained a bright spirit throughout many trials and sufferings. She left her homeland. She lost her best friend shortly after arriving in India just before going to Burma. She was pregnant as they made their way to Burma and lost a baby due to a miscarriage. Baby Roger lived only eight months. Maria, who was born while, uh, while she was caring for prisoners, died just six months after Anne died. But the joy of the Lord was her strength. She did not become bitter. Uh, She loved and respected all who knew her. Sorrow she knew, but joy overcame the trials for Anne, and her joy was in Christ. The testimony of a woman convert in Burma who died in 1827, just one year after Anne, May Min Lei, said that she was full of happy thoughts of meeting her beloved Mrs. Yuthan, that's Anne, in heaven. But first of all, she declared on her deathbed, I shall hasten to where my Savior sits and fall down and worship him for the great love in sending the teachers to show me the way to heaven. What a great tribute. What what greater tribute could be given to this remarkable woman? And in her joy amidst all the trials, pointed others to Christ. She was a devout woman. She loved Christ. She loved her husband. 
Do I need to develop this point? I think not. It is evident from the time she was converted. It was her example of prayer that led to her father's conversion and the rest of the family as well. It was her decision to marry Adoniram, knowing that it meant a life of trial that evidences a love and devotion to Jesus Christ. It was willingness uh, to continue on after being heartbroken over the death of her best friend and the death of her first baby that evidences her love for Christ. She continued steadfast in her devotion to Christ through the persecution and hardships. She loved her husband, but it was, I submit, her love for Christ that kept that love alive throughout their relatively short time together. Adoniram was heartbroken when Anne died. He lost a wife, a co-laborer, but most of all, he lost his best Christian friend who had sacrificed herself to save him for future missionary work. Anne Hazeltine Judson was made a truly remarkable woman by the grace of God. Her life shows all what a woman committed to Christ may accomplish for the glory of God. Her life is especially a challenge to all young ladies to do as Paul pleads in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is a good and acceptable and perfect. And so a life to the glory of God and Hazeltine.